0: Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining me on the Slice of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Jared Taylor. Today, I'm here with Pana Shama, the president and CEO at Lantern Pharma. How are you today?
1: Jared, thanks for having me. Good to be here.
0: I'm excited for us to chat. I think we should dive right into it. It'd be great if you could give the audience a little background on yourself, and then we'll talk about your company.
1: Sure. Thanks, Jared. Um, I joined Lantern almost three years ago now uh, as president and CEO. Uh, Lantern Pharma is part of a wave of a number of new companies that are using AI and data to help discover or develop medicines, drugs, therapies. Um, I'm sure your audience has heard a lot about the use of AI in either finding patients or diagnosing patients or coming up with new molecules. And we're one of those companies that's who's focusing on gathering data and using machine learning to basically develop um, or rescue cancer medicines. And so we have three programs um when we went public we have eight today two in phase 2 the rest all in late stage uh preclinical
0: and can you talk us through so uh thank you for the quick intro um i'd love to dive more into the the company as far as uh, i focus on these three things right that and you already mentioned a little bit of this but the the why how what right why why did the company start to begin with which you already gave us a little bit of info on that Uh, how do things currently work at the company? And then uh, if you had to give a quick one to two line description, uh, what does that look like? And then we'll go into some of the topics you and I wanted to chat about today.
1: Great, yeah. So our mission at Lantern Pharma is to develop cancer medicines faster, better, and cheaper. And we think the only way to do this is by using data and AI. And so AI, every other industry that it's touched, it's been able to totally crush the product development cycle and allow the end consumers, in this case, patients, uh, to get all the benefit, whether it's touched retail, financial services, supply chain, tech, the use of AI and machine learning has taken product cycles from here down to here. And it's actually increased the pace of innovation. And so um, one of the areas that is going to be next impacted most is going to be drug development. We've already seen it with COVID-19. And one of the most expensive areas, unfortunately, is cancer. You know, Cancer drugs take a billion to $2 billion to bring to market, take 10 to 12 years. But the ironic thing is the core of this is cancer really is a data problem. Can we gather enough data about the cancer, about the individual, about the molecules in question to make a prediction of where and how it'll work? And that's what our AI platform does. Our AI platform has grown nearly 30x since we went public 15 months ago, less than 15 months ago, and it continues to grow. And as it grows, um, it's able to give better and better predictions around um, which molecules will work best and which cancers, based on the genomic or biomarker profile. And we believe that's the only way to take a process that is a billion to 2 billion and cut it down to 100 million or 50 million. And if you can do that, those savings pass on to the healthcare system. And they pass on to patients. And so that is a big part of our mission is that we think that AI can be used for good. But most importantly, the good is making precision cancer therapy a reality. You can't do it today, you just don't have enough medicines. And at the pace that we're developing medicines, it will take 50 years. We can't do that. We believe that AI has the power to do that in a decade. So that's our mission. Our mission is to be part of that new wave, that renaissance of medicines driven by, um, you know, a whole new approach.
0: Well, you just mentioned this a little bit in, in that description, but I want to touch more upon this. What, in your in your opinion, what can we expect from the future of AI and cancer treatment?
1: Yeah, so I think AI is touching the whole um, process, and so I think it's very important for your listeners to know that we're focused only on, on a small piece, which is the development um, of the drug or the, you know, understanding the molecule and also understanding which patients will benefit from it. AI can be used to diagnose patients. It can be used to monitor. It can be used to predict patients. It can be used to do imaging. All that stuff is going to happen too, but we're focused on this very narrow early part, which is predicting what molecules will work best in which cancer. And today, I mean, for your listeners, there's if you take remove all the cytotoxic agents and the chemotherapy agents, there's only about 89 approved targeted cancer drugs. And yet there are nearly a thousand different types of cancer that we know about today. Each one's so, so different, molecularly different. So how can we make precision oncology or personalized medicine a reality when you only have X number of drugs, but you have nine to 10 X number of diseases? You can't. And so you've got to have more therapies. You've got to have better therapies. There's so many subtypes of cancer where there are no approved therapies and they're using existing drugs without a lot of benefit. And so the problem that we're trying to solve is twofold. Number one, there's so many great molecules and drugs that fail late stage trials, but they're effective somewhere. They work somewhere. So how do we tease that out? How do we understand the molecular mechanism or the patients most likely to respond? and how do we how do we rescue those drugs or revitalize them? And we have two drugs in our portfolio that do have gone through that process. But then also, as we learn new things about cancer, new genomic features, new biomarker issues, new um, insights, can we use those insights to then develop new molecules, new drugs? and we have uh, four or five molecules in our program. That are de novo, totally new, and so we think that process has typically taken, you know, to develop a new molecule has taken, um, unfortunately, close to nine figures, you know, 50 to 100 million dollars typically, and we've brought that down in our process down to maybe a few million, massive change, and so in a year's time, since we went public, we were able to launch um, two new indicate, three new indications, two new molecules in a year in one year which is an unheard of pace of productivity for a drug company and so that's just one small company but there you know our peers around the world that are using ai and data are at the same kind of pace they're, we are seeing a tremendous pace and when you have all these new molecules you'll be able to get more across the finish line and therefore we think the next decade will be able to bring the price of developing therapies down significantly and when we do that it becomes less of a burden on the healthcare system And at the same time, innovation goes up. And that's really what, this is what, you know, this is ultimately what uh, building great new companies is about is more value to
0: your end consumer or end patient and lower cost. It's, it's, uh, it's really interesting because we had the uh, CEO of Chen Med on uh, not, not too long ago. And he was talking about basically, and, and I might butcher this, but basically if you look at GDP and if you made the United States uh, healthcare spend GDP, like its own separate country, right? It's like in the top five for, for highest GDP in the world. That's just the healthcare portion. So when you talk about being able to kind of uh, lower prices through, through this avenue, that's, that's super interesting for everyone that's listening because uh, our healthcare, system is super expensive here in the US, and we need to continue to find ways to to reduce that cost. So uh, that really resonates with me.
1: Yeah. And, and one of the very important things, Jared, is that, you know, differentiating between price and cost. So, um, you know, we we face, potentially in the future, um, an innovation squeeze in this country, in the US, you know, we're looking at uh, this year probably is the first year where new drug applications um, and investigated INDs um, launched, um, China might outpace the US, even with our own FDA. So, you know, we have to press the press the pedal more on innovation. And so for a lot of people, you know, you're right, healthcare costs are very high in this country relative to other countries. And there are a whole host of issues that um, are way above my influence or pay grade to solve. But what I do know is that in medicine and in cancer, um, it's less of an issue than we than we make it out to be. And so, you know, it, uh, cancer medicine, you know, the bigger issue is the out-of-pocket for many patients um, that are uh, cancer patients is anywhere from three and a half to five times more out-of-pocket causing a lot of personal distress and having visited cancer patients and talked to a lot of clinicians, um, the number one thing oftentimes many patients are stressed about isn't their own life. Unfortunately, it's it's the financial distress and potential bankruptcy and the economic uncertainty for their family. And I would love more than nothing else than to remove that significantly. Um, But if you use nationwide data, um, and this was a study done, uh, by some folks at Dana Farber. And um, the um, meat expenditure for patients, cancer patients out of pocket, was a little over four times higher than for normal patients. So that's, and it was approaching like $17,000, $18,000 out of pocket in, on top of all the insurance costs. So you can imagine two, three years of therapy and going through the rounds of treatment can leave families very, very vulnerable. And so I'm a big proponent of using data and AI to take what takes a billion dollars and bring it down to a hundred million. Every other industry has done this, you know, so financial services used to cost 10 cents a trade. It's now one hundredth of a penny of a trade, you know, I, for me, I don't know for you, but basically, you know, when I was in grade school and high school buying t-shirts and jeans and and maybe shoes, they pretty much cost the same today as when they as 30, 40 years ago. I, I mean, maybe I'm not buying the right stuff, but I, I mean, You could buy a $30 shirt in the the 80s and buy a $30 shirt now. They're probably the same, or actually it's probably better today, the quality. And so you think about every other industry, price points have remained fairly flat or they've been crushed, semiconductors, financial services, but why not in drugs? And that's because we have a lot of processes that need to be changed. One is um, we have to do more with machines and we have to work 24-7. And so if you think about labs, every day all their people leave, all of the tremendous intellectual power that we have in those facilities leaves also. And so you want to capture that. And the only way to do it is through machine learning and AI. And so you know, we've seen tremendous increases in productivity as a result. And I think over the next decade, you'll have an era in which medicines are made um, more efficiently, more shots on goal, more successes, and therefore lower cost. And those lower costs will allow us to cap the uh, percentage of um, our GDP healthcare takes up. But again, if you take a look at just at drugs, the percentage of G- GDP is significantly lower. So, you know, it's one is healthcare costs, but second is drug costs. And if you even look at the, the Medicare numbers, you know, the top, um, 80% of the Medicare spend on therapies is taken up by less than hundred drugs. So, you know, if you really want to slice into like, where should we fix the problem? Again, my I, I, number one thing is I think if we're trying to fix the problem when the drug's already approved and it's out the door, it's already too late. It's kind of, you're trying to like scoop water out of, you know, out of a hurricane filled house. It's just, it's, it may help, but it's not going to ultimately prove successful. So knocking off a drug price from 9,000 to 4,500. Okay. Yes, it'll save a few tens of millions or hundreds of millions, but we're talking problems that are in the hundreds of billions. And so I think they are much better ways to align incentives around pricing, around cost, around innovation for improved therapeutics, and more importantly, to allow the citizens of the US and of this country to take, participate in the upside. You know, The NCI and the NIH have, have funded, according to studies, nearly 40% of new medicines have come from projects funded by those agencies, which are tax dollars, yet all the benefit goes to venture capital and private equity, and there's no participation no pool no downstream let's gather all the dollars from the innovations and make that available to people who suffer from those diseases so i think there are a lot of incentives that can be done as we rethink kind of our role in innovating but i don't believe in putting artificial price controls because that ultimately will slow down innovation at a time where we need more innovation we're like at a cusp right now where innovation is so accessible It's so you could do innovation now today in a way that you couldn't do it before because of data, computing power, availability of capital, availability of talent. So I think we should be pushing the pedal on innovation in this country to remain in that number one position as opposed to creating barriers. So but I think with you, I do believe that expenditures and the burden of cancer therapies should be reviewed closely. And I think there are a lot of areas for improvement.
0: Let's shift focus real quick to... Uh, And we're not getting political here for listeners out here. We're just talking about a a pricing plan. Let's talk through you and I were talking about this a little bit Biden's uh, President Biden's drug pricing plan. Um, Maybe what's missing from it and how can we take more steps to reform.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, again, this is echoing a lot of what other people in the industry say is that um, I think it's the general intent around pricing reform is a good one. I think, you know, you gotta take a look at what the government pays and making the most for our citizens. I'm a big believer in that. Um, but again, you, it's the devil's always in the details. So if you take a look at um, pricing, you know, some pricing of medicine might fall by a few thousand dollars in areas like arthritis or maybe in, in some cancer. But again, it's only a handful of drugs but Medicare beneficiaries would save probably an average less than $500. And so to me, is that really going to change? Um, Is that really gonna change our um, personal incentives? Probably not. Is that really gonna change the overall uh, budget? Probably not. So my view is that like others, the policy, the impact of the policy change is unclear to me But there are ways to modernize payments to generics and biosimilars and at the same time, improve innovation in this country. It's um, unclear to me why most of the generics and biosimilars or biobetters have to be made outside this country. You know, so we should create plans in which we accelerate reimbursement to generics and biosimilars, but also allow them to be be brought into the market faster and cheaper. Um, I also think that um, taking a look at pricing for Medicare post rebates is really important. So a lot of drug programs, especially in diabetes or other areas have drug rebates and other incentives. And so Medicare thinks it's paying here, but really after rebates and ultimate cost, it actually ends up paying about the same as everyone else, if not higher. And so I think there needs to be modernization of what kind of data gets fed back to Medicare. And then ultimately, I think, you know, the, you know, improving negotiations really ultimately shouldn't rely on what other countries pay it should rely on kind of what is the value to our citizens. And so if you look at that, you can look at the formularies and see, okay, what are the drugs that are being paid for? And do a detailed analysis. Like I said, you know, the top 100 drugs or 80 drugs, sorry, top 200 drugs make about 80% of the spend. So why don't we look at specifically where are they being properly used or not used? And how do we improve that area but i think all of those are way downstream from what the ultimate issue is which is how do we um contain um and participate in the upside of the innovation and the only way to do that isn't to artificially cap pricing but it's to participate in the innovation i think citizens in this country should get upside in in the way their tax dollars are used and also um and i know this is part of one of the things that no one ever wants to talk about, but you know, the gain the government wants isn't going to come from just their pricing on drugs. So, if you take a look at all the other pricing around cancer, the you know drugs make up less than thirty, maybe twenty-one percent of it. You have hospital visits, you have physician care, you have um, ambulatory services, you have radio, you know, you have um, X-rays, you have radiation treatments, you have the whole stack of activity. That whole stack of activity needs to be looked at and said, okay, how much are we going to spend on triple negative breast cancer? How much are we going to spend on prostate cancer? How much are we going to spend on a certain category of prostate cancer? And look at it. And that requires interdisciplinary or cross-functional teams. Mm -hmm. Um, It is very easy to beat up on drug pricing, very easy, but usually you only have a handful of culprits. And so if there are issues where drugs are increasing faster than the rate of inflation, or if you have a drug that's 20 years old and should be made cheaper and cheaper, and yet it's increasing, yes, those things should be looked at and we should avoid abuses. Um, and I'm a number one believer that, you know, no one should rest on their laurels and just increase pricing for no reason. But again, those, are, those typically are exceptions. That's not the rule. The vast majority of my colleagues, we wanna continue innovating, creating new things that are even better than the last thing that we made. And so that incentive should not be taken away. In fact, we should find ways to promote it even more. And ways to do it are, is to do more work here in this country. Ways to do it is to compress the bureaucracy of regulatory agencies, uh, is to compress the cost to file paperwork. I mean, you'd be surprised how much it costs to file paperwork. You think it's free. Press a button and you file it with the FDA? No, it doesn't. You have to go through an intermediary. They're put in a certain format. They going to charge their 10k here 5k there 2k there 350 an hour here why i am not sure i don't even ask questions so that's not my area but regulatory is such a burden and i'm not sure what the incentive back to citizens or for cancer patients are you know so i focus on what i can focus on which is you know creating new chemistries creating new clinical trial programs you know focusing the science focusing the people but we have to take a look at these areas of costs that are artificial that should be brought down because all that adds up. And so my view is we need to push the pedal on innovation. We need to allow citizens in this country to participate in the innovation and we should allow economic incentives to keep more innovation job and activity in this country. And that'll more than make up for um, a few billion dollars of excess spend in certain therapeutic areas. And you know the area that I know best is cancer. And if you take a look at the top 10 drugs paid for by Medicare
0: three are cancer. So, you know, there's a lot of other areas also to look at. Well, uh, Pana, I want to uh, thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast today. And I hope we can have you come on again, because I know there's other topics that you and I would love to, to dive more into detail on. Uh, I think you segmented uh, at, at the end really well uh, into that kind of last thought for, for a future episode too. Um, so really appreciate your time today. Can't wait to have you on again real soon and uh, wish you all the best. Jared, thanks a lot. Appreciate you having me. Thank you to everyone that listened to this week's episode of the Slice of Healthcare podcast. If you'd like to check out more of our podcasts, we're available on all the major podcast channels. And you can check us out on our website, www.healthcare.com sliceofhealthcare.com. And that'll have all of our past guests on there. Uh, You can see our sponsors and you can learn more about actually becoming a guest. Thanks and look forward to another episode next week.